From Luke chapter number 2 this morning, let's begin reading in verse number 21. The Word of God says, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Let's read verse 25 once more, and we'll pray. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I do thank you for this day. Thank you for the joy that it is to be in your house this morning. We thank you for the presence of uh, the Holy Spirit that we've already felt this morning. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship and to meet with you. Father, as we approach this day, we know that you have something prepared for us. God, we know that you seek to do business with us. We know that you seek to draw closer to us if we'll only draw closer to you. So we pray that our hearts would be laid open before you. Father, that we would be spoken to from you this morning. Lord, that you get the glory for all that takes place. We rejoice in those that have been saved. Lord, we rejoice in that one from Friday that came to know your Son as her Savior. Lord, we just bless your name for the work that you're doing in this place. Father, I pray that you glorify yourself in all that takes place. We do ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we approach Luke chapter number 2, I'm aware it's the Christmas season. You are too. I looked at some of the folks this morning. I said, wonder why everybody's wearing so much red. Amen. Uh, we approach this Christmas season. Of course, our thoughts are generally drawn towards Christmas themes, Christmas truths. But I want us to take a few moments this morning. I want us to move past the initial birth of Christ. And I want us to focus on a man by the name of Simeon that is found in Luke chapter number 2. All that we know of Simeon, we know from Luke chapter number 2. It's as though God wanted to give us just a picture of who and what this man was about. And can I just pause for a moment and say this? Most of the time, a lost and dying world only gets a picture of who and what you're all about. 
They don't get the whole story. They, most of the time, they don't get your excuses. They don't get your reasons for why you didn't testify and witness to them. They don't get your reasons for why you had a good excuse to uh, be unfaithful to the Lord or to sin or to do unrighteously. They don't see all that. They just see you and they judge Jesus Christ by you. Isn't that true? But here in this passage, that, was, that wasn't even my message, but it, I felt it needed to be. I need to hear it whether you did or not. Amen. But here in this passage, I want us to notice a few things about Simeon. Simeon was a man that was waiting for the coming of the Lord. Now, as you read through the Word of God, and by the way, I, I'm a dispensationalist. I believe in dispensations in the Word of God. I, I not only believe in the first coming of Jesus Christ, I believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, But I am aware of this, that there are between the first and second coming of Jesus Christ, you're going to find many differences, but you'll also find some similarities as well. Let me say a few differences. You know, when Christ came the first time, He came born in a manger. You know that's true. It's Christmas season. You'll see it all around you. But can I say that when He comes back again, He's not coming in a manger. He's coming upon a white horse. Amen? When He came the first time... He came as the lowly son of a carpenter. When he comes again, he's coming as king of kings, lord of lords. When he came the first time, he came speaking peace and showing righteousness. When he comes back the next time, he's coming with a sword proceeding out of his mouth to judge the nations of this world. What I'm saying is this, there's some differences. But there's some similarities, too, between the first and second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say that the first and second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, both are literal events. They're not spiritual events. They're literal events. Christ literally was born of a virgin, of a literal virgin, not a perpetual virgin, but of a literal virgin. We have no reason to believe. In fact, we have every scriptural evidence that Mary was not a perpetual virgin. She went on to bear children. And the churches uh, can enshrine her all that they wish, and they can call her uh, the perpetual virgin all they want, but it doesn't change the truth of the Word of God. By the same token, the liberals that want to tell us she wasn't really a virgin, I have no time for that either, because the Word of God is very clear. It doesn't say a young woman. I kind of think God knows the difference between a young woman and a virgin, don't you? I mean, maybe I'm just simplistic, but I think he knows the difference. I think if she had just been a young woman, God would have just said a young woman, but he didn't. He said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a child. Both of them were literal. Both of them will be prophetically, have been and will be prophetically fulfilled to the very minutest detail. All of the prophecies concerning the first coming of Jesus Christ were fulfilled to a T. Not one jot or tittle of the law passed away. Every single prophecy was fulfilled exactly. And I would have you know, by the way, you know, if, if you if you want to take premillennialism out of the Bible, you've got to cut away about a third of your Bible to get rid of it. You've got to cut away about a third of it. I believe that the second coming of Jesus Christ will be exactly what God said it will be. I had a fellow ask me one time, you know, he wanted to fuss and argue, and uh, he was a good Baptist, and he uh, he wanted to fuss and argue with me. And he wanted to talk about, you know, to, to him, I was a white horse preacher. You know, some of you have heard that term before, a white horse preacher. And he wanted to talk to me, and he said, uh, he got he went to his pastor, and his pastor just, you know, loaded him up with ammunition. And uh, he the pastor should have told him those blanks, <laughs> but loaded him up with scriptural ammunition. You know, he was going to show me. He was going to show me. And we sat down, and he said, I want to ask you something. I said, okay. He got real serious. He said, do you believe the book of Revelation 
is literal or spiritual. I said, well, I believe it's both. Amen. I said, I believe we interpret it literally, but of course there are spiritual truths within it. Of course God uses imagery and some symbolism throughout the book of Revelation, but I believe the book of Revelation to be a literal chronological book, don't you? And then he said, well, let me ask you this. He said, how's Jesus coming back? Is he coming back in the clouds or is he coming back on a white horse? He was ready to get me. He said, is he coming back on a cloud or is he coming back on a white horse? And I said, yes. <laughs> and he just looked at me. He said, what do you mean, yes? I said, the Bible teaches he's coming back on both. He's coming back for his bride in the clouds. But he's coming back that he might avenge his people and, uh, and, and fight the battle of Armageddon upon a white horse. You see, if you'll just believe the Bible, it'll straighten a lot of stuff out. Amen? I believe it's going to be exactly how God said it'll be. And if there is a deficit in interpretation or understanding of the Word of God, it's not a deficit in the inspiration or revelation of the Word of God. It's a deficit in my interpretation and understanding of the Word of God because it's going to be exactly how God said it would be, just as the first coming of Christ was literal and fulfilled exactly, the second coming of Christ will be literal and fulfilled exactly. And so as I look at a man by the name of Simeon, Simeon, by the way, means he who hears. You'll find that all through the book of Revelation. He who hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Simeon was a man who had an ear to hear. And while the entire world was uh, looking the other way, Simeon was a man who got it and understood what was taking place. Here he is in Jerusalem waiting for the coming of the Lord. And here we are in this day of grace. And what are we doing at the end of the day? We're waiting for the coming of the Lord. I find when I look at Simeon's life, some similarities or some qualities, if I could put it that way, that we ought to have in our life. There were certain things that the first coming of Christ did in his life that the second coming of Christ ought to do in your life and my life. Can I tell you what I believe is the marked difference between uh, early church New Testament Christianity and, and, and the apathy that infects the church today? And if you don't think there's apathy in the church today, brother, just open your eyes and look around. I mean, the things, things are not taking place today that took place in the early church. I'm not talking about tongues. I'm not talking about miracles. I'm talking about seeing folks saved the way that they saw them saved. I'm talking about folks dedicated. I mean, listen, it's getting tougher and tougher to get folks to church three times a week, two times a week, even one time a week. The New Testament church, the Bible says that they met together daily. It's getting tough sometimes to... For God to get his 10%, we're awful hard on Ananias and Sapphira, you know. We'll say, why, them rascals, them liars. Hey, how many of you have ever sold a piece of property for the sole reason to give it to the work of God? Somebody turn the air conditioning on? <laughs> I, I, I'm just merely saying there's some apathy in the church today. And I believe that the marked difference between the church today and the church then is they really, literally believed in the imminent second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said to wait for the appearing of his dear son and spoke about himself and the church at Thessalonica. He said, we wait for the appearing of his dear son. I mean, they knew that it could happen at any moment and it could still happen at any moment. And I think there's some qualities that we ought to have in our life, and I want you to notice them just very quickly. Notice what it says. The very first thing it says about him, look at verse 25. The Bible says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was what? The very first word, he was just. I want you to notice first off his purity. 
You see, the truth of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ caused him to be a just man and to live a pure life. Do you know why we get backslidden the way we do? I didn't say you, I said we, so feel better, amen? We, all of, do you know why we do the things we do? You know why we sin the way we sin? You know why we're unfaithful to God the way we're unfaithful? If we really believe that Jesus could come back at any moment, we wouldn't live that way. It changes. Now, I'm aware that God sees everything that I do and everything that you do. But let me say this. Wouldn't it be a shame for the Lord to come back and to find us being unfaithful to Him? He knows how we're living. He knows what we're doing. I'm aware of that. But what a sad testimony it would be. I mean, listen, friend, would you be satisfied with your walk with the Lord if it was to end today? Would you be satisfied? If Christ came back right now, would you have unconfessed sin in your heart? If Christ came back right now, would you have some bitterness in your life? If Christ returned right now, would you go out of this world backslidden from Him? See, Simeon was waiting. And because he was waiting, he kept his life in check and he lived in such a way that would glorify God. Listen to what it says in 1 John chapter 3. You've heard these verses. You've read them. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man, now you believe your King James Bible, don't you? Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Now, just here is the stark truth of it. I'm sorry, I know you got that bubble big, and I'm just about to bust it. I'm sorry to tell you this, but the truth of the matter is, when we live with sin in our life, it's evidence that we don't have an effectual belief in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We may have an academic belief in it, but we don't have an effectual belief in it. There's a lot of things we can forget in our Christian walk. You know, the Bible, Peter said this, said that a man can get so backslid that he forgets that he was washed from his old sin. There's some things that we'll never lose that we can forget. And we may have an academic acknowledgement that the Lord's return is imminent, that before this service is over, he could split the eastern sky and return for his bride. We may have an academic understanding of that truth. You may be supreme millennial, you spell it with three L's, amen? You may have everything worked out. You may be so premillennial you won't go to the post office. But that doesn't mean that you're living like Jesus is coming back. You can have all the knowledge in the world. But every man that hath this hope in him doesn't say every man that hath this knowledge in him. And that's the difference. Hope is an entirely different thing than just knowledge. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to live in earnest expectation of it. It says every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Notice not only his purity, but notice the second thing. The Bible says he was just, and then what? Devout. He was devout. We see not only his purity, we see his passion. He was a man that was dedicated. I find it very interesting that whenever the Lord... Where did the Lord find him? He found him in the temple. You see, Simeon hadn't heard that Jesus was born and then decided to meet him at the temple. Simeon was at the temple anyway, and that's where the Lord found him. He was a devout man. He was dedicated. I wonder, man, it's Christmas. You thought this was going to be easy today. I did too. I wonder how many of us 
How many of us, if the Lord was to return right now, we'd have nothing but excuses for him? I mean, hey, you're in the house of God this morning. I ain't fussing at you. I'm just, I'm preaching to both of us. You see, because he knew that the Lord was coming, he wanted to be found serving and living for him. You know, at the end of the day, all we can ever have for not serving the Lord is excuses. God never asks a thing of us that we can't do. Oh, we may not be able to do it in the energy of our flesh, but by His grace and with His help and by His strength, we can do it. God never asks anything of us, but what by His grace, His strength, and His help, we can accomplish it. And so if we're not, all we've got is excuses for Him. Those excuses are fine now, because most of the accountability that, that believers experience today, well, first off, most don't experience any. That's the truth. We don't keep each other accountable. God help us. We ought to keep each other more accountable. We ought to keep each other more accountable than we do. But even beyond that, the problem is we're worried about keeping each other accountable when it ought to be that our love for the Lord Jesus Christ is all that's needed to keep us accountable. That ought to be enough. He was a devout man. Oh, the Bible teaches us he was an old man. He probably had excuses. He could have probably said, Here, I've been going up this temple every day for X number of years. Why don't I just stay home today? But then again, that day was the very day. And one of these days when you say, well, no sense in witnessing today. I've witnessed and witnessed and witnessed. Not seen anybody saved in a long Well, no sense going to church today. It's going to be like it always. Well, no sense in praying today. God won't hear. Well, no sense in reading my Bible today. I know I'm not going to get anything. You'll find that one of those days is going to be the day. And either he'll come to you or you'll go to him. Don't you want to be found serving him? We see his purity. We see his passion. Notice a third thing. I like this. The Bible says at the end of verse 25, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. I know that, that term Holy Ghost, that scares a lot of folks. A lot of churches scared of the Holy Ghost. Let me say this. The Holy Ghost is not wildfire. He's not wildfire. The Holy Ghost is not evidenced by speaking in tongues or being slain in the Spirit. The Holy Ghost is evidenced by the holy life. Amen? Amen. If you're following the Holy Ghost, you're going to have a holy life. Uh, the truth of the matter is, a lot of these folks that are in the tongue-talking movement, they don't, they don't have a shred of holiness about their life. More scandal, more wickedness, more carnality comes out of the, the tongues movement than it comes from any other dark corner of Christendom in this day that we live in. That tells me that that's a, that's a false testimony that they're giving. Now, I don't need to hear it from them. The Bible tells us that when that which is perfect is come, this needs to be done. When that which is perfect is come, perfect, it's what God said, not what I said. I'll say it too, but it's not what I said, it's what God said. When that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. You know what the Lord is talking about? He's talking about tongues. He was talking about men being invested with the ability to do miraculous things. See, those things ended with the Word of God. You know why? Because we have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. What, what was Peter talking about when he said that? He said, We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and majesty of his coming. He said, We were on the mountain with him. We saw him transfigured. But he said, We have a more sure word of prophecy. 
There's lots of folks around here, they're waiting to see something, they're waiting to feel something, when the truth of the matter is they just need to get in the book and read something, because you'll get a lot more out of that than some feeling, some vision, some nonsense. Well, I like it when I can feel my faith, don't you? Nothing wrong with feelings, but my faith is not based upon my feelings, because my feelings change, friend. My, my faith is based upon something that will never change, ever change, ever change. See, it may not be settled down here with all these infidels, but it's settled forever in heaven, O oh Lord. It's never going to change. It abideth forever, Peter said. It abideth forever. Well, that's free. That's not even. A lot of folks scared of the Holy Ghost, but the truth of the matter is you cannot effectively live the Christian life unless you are surrendered to the Spirit of God. That is the only means. You know why we buck against the Spirit of God? Because we think that that accountability is somewhere far off in the distance. We think that that day, you know what the Bible says? The Bible, Paul said this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, we can have a big uh, eschatological, that is a word, I promise you, big eschatological discussion, a big theological debate. We can have a big end times conference if you want. Uh, but as I read my Bible, I find this, that most likely the judgment seat of Christ takes place immediately after the rapture. That's what I see in my Bible. And by the way, I believe in two resurrections. Because the Bible teaches two resurrections, not a general resurrection, two resurrections, a resurrection to life and a resurrection to death. The judgment at the judgment seat of Christ and the judgment at the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter number 20. So that tells me this. Simeon wanted to follow the Holy Ghost and be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the Holy Ghost didn't on anyone except that person is surrendered to them. And there is a difference. Ooh. Man, y'all going to call me a heretic for saying this. There's a difference between Him being in you and being on you. Holy Ghost is in every born-again believer. He indwells you. You're sealed under the day of redemption with that Holy Spirit of promise. But there is no question that there are times in the Word of God, times in the New Testament when the Holy Ghost in a particular way empowers men that they might glorify Jesus Christ, that they might preach the gospel, that they might live in a way that would bring glory to Him. Not that they might do a bunch of miracles, not that they might cut up their suit and cut it in little squares and mail it to people that will send them ten dollars, but so that they might live a holy life and that they might glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. I see that the Holy Ghost wasn't in Simeon. You know why? Because Christ had not died yet, but he was upon him. And that tells me that he was surrendered to him. See, the Holy Ghost can be in you without you being surrendered to him. If you've been born again, the Holy Ghost is in you. But I ain't always surrendered to him. And chances are you ain't always surrendered to him either. But I don't just want the Holy Ghost to be in me. I want him to be on me like Simeon. Why was Simeon so focused on surrendering to the Holy Ghost? By the way, doesn't it say that the Holy Ghost revealed unto him that he should not see death? He had a relationship with the Lord through the Holy Spirit, just like you and I. That tells me he wanted to be surrendered to the work of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because he knew at any moment that he could be face to face, face to face with the Son of God. And the truth of the matter is this. We have an accountability day coming. We're going to stand at the Bema seat of Christ. We're going to stand face to face with him. And we're going to give an account for the things that we've done. You know, the best way to know that you're living right is just to be surrendered to the Holy Ghost. You know, that's what it means when the Bible teaches us about Christ living through us. 
Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. I'm well aware that Christ, being the uh, second person of the Trinity and being God, uh, and not not second-rate God, mind you, not second-place God, but being a 100% God, I'm well aware that He, in a sense, is omnipresent. But the Bible teaches us very clearly where Christ is at. By the way, Christ is in a resurrected body, and He is seated at the right hand of the Father and ever liveth to make intercession for us. So how does Christ live through us? He lives through us through the Spirit of Christ living in us and us being surrendered to it. And so that it's not I. You remember what Paul said? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. How could he say Christ liveth in me? Christ seated at the right hand of the Father because the Spirit of Christ lived in him. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said the only way I can really live this way, the only way I can really do this thing, the only way I can really serve Christ is by being surrendered to the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible say? Walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We see his, uh, I can't even remember, I had some cute name for it. I, I can't. His persuasion. That sounds good, don't it? We see his persuasion. Notice verse 26. I want you to see this. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. We see his purpose. His purpose. Simeon could have been a lot of places, but he was in the temple. Do you know why? Because he had one chief purpose. The Lord had revealed to Simeon, you'll not die until you see me. You'll not die until you see the Lord. And so his grand purpose was to wait on him. Well, there's a lot of things we can be into and distracted with in the day that we live in. I know that. Uh, There's a lot of things we can be focused on. And I appreciate you being here this morning. There's a million places you could have been, but you chose to be in the house of God. But at this time, this is a season of distractions. You know that? This is a season of distractions. And in this season of distractions, it's so easy to get focused on the presents that need to be wrapped, the last-minute gifts that need to be picked up, the food that has to be prepared, that we can lose sight of what our great and grand purpose in this life. Do you know what your purpose is? The book of Ephesians tells us that your purpose for living, your reason for being here, is that you might be to the praise and honor of His glory, to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you're here. Well, how do you glorify Him? He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And what were the commandments? Said, watch and wait. That was his purpose. He understood. He could have been a thousand places, a million places, but he was in the temple. You know why? That was his priority. He said, I need to be here. This is what God has asked me and told me and called me to do. And he said, I want to do what God expects of me. I understand. We live in this world. It takes money to live. And I ain't found that tree that grows it yet. If you have, tell me. People have to work jobs. I understand that. I understand life gets busy and life gets hectic. I'm aware of it. But just keep in mind what your real reason is for being here. Your real reason for being here is not to get that nicer home or that better car. Your real reason for being here is not to get to that place where you're finally comfortable financially. Your your real purpose in being here, uh, and listen, I I believe it glorifies the Lord to raise our kids and to raise them upright. I believe that is one of our chief duties. But your real purpose is not just to keep them happy or to keep them satisfied. Your real grand purpose in life is to live to the praise and honor His glory, to wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, waiting does not necessarily denote inactivity either, right? Waiting does not necessarily denote inactivity. You've been to the doctor before, I know, I can tell by looking at you, you've been to the doctor. You sit in that waiting room, 
And it feels like you're waiting in there forever, but what are you doing? You're shuffling through magazines. You're looking on that telephone. You're calling people. You're talking to people. You see, you're waiting, but you're not inactive. You're not inactive. And in the same way as the children of the, of, of the Lord and, and as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, though we're waiting, we're not to be inactive. There's plenty of work to do. And what did the old songwriter say? He said, well, work till what? Till Jesus comes. Let me give you one final thing, and I'm, I'll hush. I want you to look at verse number 28, verse 29. The Bible says, Then took he him up in his arms, and blessed God, and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, according to thy word. I want you to notice finally his proximity. His proximity. What did he do? What did he do? When he saw the Lord, he didn't stand off at a distance. When he saw the Lord, he didn't even run and get others. When he saw the Lord, he walked up and he said, put him in my arms and let me hold him. Let me hold him. You see, because he was waiting for the Lord, he had a desire to be closer to the Lord. He had a desire to embrace him. He had a desire to be as close to the Lord as he possibly could. You know, the truth of the matter is, we have just as much of God as we want. Every one of us. That's me, that's you, that's all of us. I mean, if your cup's full and running over and you're drinking from your saucer, it's because you want to be. And if you're one of these that, well, I don't never get nothing. You know, preacher gets up there and he carries on. Or I read my Bible and I can't understand that old thing. I need, need one of these new ones that has all that nonsense language in them. You know, when you've got to put your barbecue grill together, you don't ask for a different set of instructions. You figure out the ones you got. I just think the Word of God's a little more important than a barbecue grill, don't you? I just kind of think if we need to understand it, we've got to talk to the author, and he'll show it to us. If you're one of those people, and if your relationship with the Lord is dead, it's because you've let it get dead. Because you've let it get dead. And some folks say, well, you know, I, I just I've, I went through a rough time. Rough times don't push us further from God. They draw us closer to God. Well, you know, preacher, I just had a lot going on. I, you know what Christ did when he had a lot going on? When the Bible says that the multitude pressed upon him, he departed into a mountain to pray. The truth is, all of our excuses are going to burn up in the judgment fire, the judgment seat of Christ. They're going to mean nothing. You really believe he's coming soon? That's going to cause you to want to get close to him. It's going to cause you to want to spend time with him. It's going to cause you to long to see his face a little bit clearer. I wonder this morning how many of us say we believe the Lord's coming. I heard you all whenever uh, we made the announcement. And I know how it is in church. You know, you just you come in, you're half asleep. You don't know what's going on. you got boogers hanging out of your eyes. And, and you just you just get in, you know, you, you kick her in neutral and coast. I know. I'm aware of that. But I wonder how many of us said this morning, the Lord's coming back. The Lord's coming back. And in our mind, we believed that. But our life would say something different. wonder how many of us would say, oh, yes, I know the Lord's returning. Yeah, some of you could take me to chapter and verse. Some of you could walk me through it. But your life doesn't say that. You see, it's high time we get honest. I know I say it all the time, and I'll keep saying it till we start to get honest. It's high time we get honest about what we really believe, not just up here, but in here. By the way, what's in here, it'll be up here, but it'll also come out here. 
come out in your feet, come out in your hands, come out in the way you live, come out in your mouth. I wonder how many of us would say, oh, yes, I believe the Lord's coming. But if we were to get honest with our life and examine our life, we'd have to admit that our life does not bespeak that truth.